it's Friday and it's also Adrian Lawrence again, indisputable. I'm holding it down for Dr. Richie and I am very pleased to be joined by the one and only Jackson White. We got Rebel HQ all up in this space and we do have a lot of news for you today. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So we have these updates that are coming down from Texas. The Texas Department of Public Safety, they just admitted that the Evalde Police Department, they got it wrong by waiting to storm into Robb Elementary School on Tuesday when we had that massacre of all of those children and teachers there. Check out this video. And there was 19, like I said, there was 19 officers in there. In fact, there was plenty of officers to do whatever needed to be done. With one exception is that the, the incident commander inside believed they needed more equipment and more officers to do a tactical breach at that point. That's why BORTAC was requested on the scene as soon as they were there. They executed a search, or at least a, a dynamic entry, and went in. And uh, of course, that was not the well, that was not the twelve fifty-seven. Hey, hey, with the hey, with the benefit of hey, with the benefit of hindsight, hey, the benefit of hey, stand by, stand by, hey, stand by, hey, stand by, right? I got it. I got, I got it. Okay. Hey, from the from the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now. Of course, it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision. Period. There's no no excuse for that. That's right. Texas Public Safety is now acknowledging that many mistakes were made, and these mistakes were fatal for those children, those 19 children, and those two teachers who were murdered at the Robb Elementary School earlier this week. And so more from the live press conference, this is also what we know from the Washington Post. That was Director Stephen C. McCraw. He said the incident commander made a misjudgment as students laid dying or calling 911 from inside rooms 111 and 112. Of course, with the benefit of hindsight, as you just heard him, it was a wrong decision, period, McGraw said, without a doubt. Law enforcement there in Uvalde, they got it wrong. And McCraw, that's the Texas DPS director. Well, he told reporters that those 19 officers were inside the school and that they had decided to essentially divert from the required active shooter protocol. This per the Washington Post, the on scene commander considered it a barricaded subject and that no more children were at risk. McGraw said, obviously based upon the information we have, there were more children at risk and not a barricaded subject. That's right, they got it entirely wrong. Not only were there more children at risk in this public school, but also it wasn't a barricaded subject. And the thing is, the individual who was leading the command there, well, he wasn't at the press conference to answer for these mistakes, for the conclusion why they believed there were no more children at risk there in the school. No one was there to truly give us answers. Yes, we got admissions, but what answers were given? Why did the individual essentially engage in what would seem to be an entire derelict of duty? What we also know though, is that the Department of Public Safety, it admitted that children had been calling 911 from inside the school pleading for help. That there were people there that they let them know that we are in danger. Yet still, the individual who was commanding the situation believed that there was no longer a threat to the children. This also from the Washington Post. McGraw had acknowledged that authorities made the wrong decision and not recognizing the attack was still going on inside the fourth grade classroom. At one point in the news conference, McGraw broke down when asked how he was handling everything. He responded, forget how I'm doing. 
What about the parents of those children? That's a damn good question. What about the parents of those children? They're paying 40% of the Evalde budget toward law enforcement. Yet law enforcement wasn't doing its job. It wasn't entering the school. It was waiting outside for what some 50 minutes while the gunmen ultimately end up firing 116 rounds, shooting 38 people, including those 19 children and two adults who died. This doesn't sit well with me at all. You, Jackson? No, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, if you're supposed to be in charge of public safety, to fail at this large of a scale for something this serious shows that you are wholesomely unprepared to protect the city whatsoever. And I want to bring, you know, it's, it's important to look at how leadership always is from the top down. And one of the comments that Greg Abbott recently said was that it could have been worse. Well, sure, it could have been worse. Instead of 19 children dying, I guess 20 or 25 or 100 could have died. But I think that that's really just a reflection of the fact that this just overall is not an issue that they really care about or think about that much. Because for you to have children calling your police department, clearly afraid, clearly you know what's going on. If you to just kind of be twiddling your thumbs, I mean, what are you even there for? You know, like seriously, like where was your desire? Where was your motivation to really jump into the fire? If you don't have that, all of these people should be replaced. Absolutely, and also you had children calling, begging for help, calling, saying there is a shooter in here. So how is it that you decide to deduce that their children are no longer facing an active threat? Also, how do you get it wrong about a barricaded subject? The thing is, so many people there in Evalde got it wrong when it came to the police department. And we saw as well earlier this week, the footage of the parents begging, pleading, fighting with police to go in there to rescue their children. Yet still, you had the on-site commander saying, there's no threat, it's all good, just stay here. This is extremely disturbing and it really does show you that we've got problems with law enforcement. Something that I think we all definitely knew, but it's almost to the point where now it is definitely getting our children killed. Not only did the Evalde Police Department fail to follow protocol, but they also refused assistance from trained law enforcement specialists. We know that now specially equipped federal agents arrived at the elementary school on Tuesday earlier than previously reported by the police department there. But the local police department, they wouldn't let them go in after the gunmen. This is what we know from the New York Times. The agents from Border Patrol and Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, arrived at some point between 12 and 1210, according to the officials, which is far earlier than previously known. But they didn't breach the adjoining classrooms of the school where the gunman had locked himself in until a little bit before 1 p.m. Members of the federal tactical team ended up being the ones killing the gunman. So they arrived around noon. And we know that the shooting started at around 11.33. So about half an hour after the shooting started, these federal agents were specially trained tactical team at the federal level. They were on site ready to help. And they asked, can we go in? They made every effort, yet the local police department said no. The federal agents reported that they arrived to a scene of chaos. 
People pulling children out of windows while the local police carrying only handguns and a few rifles were trying to secure a perimeter, according to one official who like the others spoke on the condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation. The federal officers had driven up from the Mexican border, one official said. The official said it was not clear to the federal agents why their team was needed and why the local SWAT team did not respond. That's right, as many of you have seen online, there's a picture circulating of the Evalde local SWAT team holding big AKAR, big light guns that you would think would be quite helpful in this situation. And this very, very trained team, local law enforcement, is not there. Why? Because that on-site apartment head essentially said, no, we don't, we don't think it's an active shooter situation. We don't need them. So nothing was done. So again, even though federal law enforcement that was trained specially was on site, local police who we know weren't following the active shooter protocol and did not engage their own SWAT team told these specially trained agents to stand down. It truly makes no sense, not just to me as a civilian, but also to these officers. Because this is what we know from the New York Times, the Border Patrol and ICE agents did not understand why they were left to wait, according to the official. Eventually, the specialized Border Patrol team went into the building. And we know what happened when they were finally able to do what they had been trained to do. They went in and they killed that gunman. And in that time period that they were forced to stand outside out of respect for the local police department, that there were kids in there who were bleeding to death. Kids who went to the hospital and ultimately died. So there were lives that could have been saved had local law enforcement just let the federal agents go in to do the job that they as local officers clearly were not prepared to do. Jackson. I think that the police department should have the pantsuit off of them by everyone from all around the country. I think that they need to absolutely pay for their lack of action. And also, I think that this goes to show the importance of local elections because a lot of the people in you know charge, whether it be defense attorneys, sheriffs, there's so many people that get voted into these positions. So I think that, and one of the things I talk about all the time is that it's time for us to put more of the responsibility into our own hands and get more active in our communities in any way that we can, not just showing up at the polls, but just by being leaders and being responsible for our own communities. Because moving forward, it's gonna take a lot more from the general public than it ever has. Absolutely, we need to have recalls, all sorts of things in place. Because the fact that the Uvalde community is spending 40% of their municipal budget on law enforcement. Number one, even before this tragedy, that is excessive and unnecessary. But then after this, and we see that local law enforcement isn't even doing its job to the detriment of children that could have survived this attack. This is disgusting. If Texas and the rest of the country won't do anything about guns in the hands of civilians, it can at least start pouring resources into the civilian communities where it's education, where it is helping people out with mental health, where it is providing stable jobs, providing opportunities to people as opposed to pouring into the budgets of law enforcement who are not stopping crime, preventing crime, or even in this case, saving lives. We know that the individuals who provide the guns, this cohort, they don't care. Because right now they're still hosting their summit. 
That's the NRA and one of their high powered leaders, Donald Trump is there speaking and it's in Houston today in Texas. But the audience, they won't have any guns on them. They're not allowed to exercise their two way rights to carry arms during his speech because we know that at the NRA conference, they do not allow guns. This per the NPR news. According to the NRA, the Secret Service is taking control of the hall during Trump's speech and is prohibiting attendees from having firearms, firearm accessories and knives. Ammunition, laser pointers, pepper spray, toy guns, backpacks and other items also won't be allowed. And you know what? Secret Service is going the distance because they're going to be searching attendees before they enter the hall. That's right. And this isn't the first time that firearms have been off limits during a part of the gun group's annual convention. In 2018, a similar prohibition was put in place during a speech by then President or Vice President Mike Pence. The Secret Service told NPR in a statement at the time that the agency has the authority to preclude firearms from entering sites visited by their, our protectees, including those located in open carry states. So clearly that whole second amendment right things does have limits for individual safety. Because I was out here thinking that guns were completely safe and that it's you know these lone wolves, these individuals suffering from mental health as opposed to ordinary citizens who can you know operate firearms and can have them in their possession without issue. Especially in Texas where what I guess open carry, no background checks is kind of what the standard to my knowledge. Well, the thing is, I want you to imagine if all Americans were offered the same protections as essentially this Trump creature out here, cuz it would be pretty nice. And I know that those parents of the slain children there in Uvalde, they would have appreciated having similar protections there. But, you know, the NRA doesn't let the deaths of children stop their plans. Also from NPR in 1999 after the mass shooting of Columbine High School that left 13 people dead. The NRA considered canceling its annual convention scheduled for a few days later in Denver, but ultimately decided to go ahead with the event. It seems that nothing stops the NRA, not the bodies of children, not the blood on their hands because hey, they have guns to sell. Jackson, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, the fact that they're not allowing people in the building who have these weapons just goes to show that they're fully aware of how dangerous firearms can be. Even if people are responsible with them, you just never know. But of course, they're only concerned about their own lives. But just in general, whether it be the NRA and just gun manufacturers at large, they've been funneling money through our political system for so many years and they've not had to face any consequences. I mean, think about just anyone who doesn't face consequences for their actions, they end up not really thinking about them because why would you? They're just gonna keep the money rolling. So again, you know, this just goes to show that they're fully aware at the same time what they're doing though, because they don't want all those guns in the building. So Absolutely. it's just ridiculous. Yeah, it seems like there are two different Americas. And of course, the 1% gets to enjoy the safety of not being in a society where there are tons of people holding all sorts of guns. And those individuals, some of them have decided to bow out of the NRA's annual conference. On Thursday, we learned that Texas Governor Abbott decided to cancel his plans to attend. And instead, he's going to send pre-recorded remarks while he returns to Uvalde. Mind you, what? After he had found out about the shooting, instead of going to donate blood like um, 
like Beto decided to do to try to help the lives there that were endangered, the 38 people he were shot. Instead, Governor Abbott went ahead and he went to a fundraiser because he thought that that was a good way to spend his time. Also, Senator John Cornyn, who is a Republican from Texas, well, he pulled out of the event because he says he has to be in Washington for personal reasons. Representative Dan Crenshaw, also the Republican from Texas, told Fox News he's canceled because he wouldn't be back from a visit to Ukraine in time. Nice. Meanwhile, there's a number of high profile performers for the event, like American Pie singer songwriter Don McLean. And he dropped out after the Uvalde shooting. Other musicians, such as Larry Gatlin, Larry Stewart, Danielle Peck, they also decided to drop out. And as of now, Lee Greenwood, T. Graham Brown, and Jacob Bryant, they are still performing. And I love that I don't recognize a lot of these names, and it's not because I lack culture, it's because those people are insignificant as far as I'm concerned. So, but anyway, other GOPers, they're still scheduled to speak. And that includes Senator Ted Cruz, also North Carolina Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, and I think it's South Dakota Governor. Christy Noam. And the Houston mayor, Sylvester Turner, here he is. Well, he is going to attend and he said that he wanted the city to cancel the conference. But Turner stated that Houston can't break its contract with the NRA because gosh, can't do that. And Turner then posed that the greater question is why Texas politicians still plan to speak at an event after the shooting. He said that you can't pray and send condolences on one day and then be going and champing guns on the next. That's wrong. Indeed, that is wrong. But you know, it's not like you're in a position of power to cancel the event. Uh, yeah, because that would only end up in litigation. And you know, I'm sure that Houston can't afford any litigation. Uh, get out of here. So people need to stop trying to play by these rules and stop trying to pussyfoot around this and actually stand up and do something about it. Jackson. Yeah, well, you know, these people have no real principles and no real servitude to the general public. But I know I just said this, but I want to, you know, reverse back around because we brought this up with Governor Abbott to show how much these people really just don't think about these issues. The fact that this man said that it could have been worse is they don't even think about it. It's not even something that they're trying to avoid necessarily. The issue of mass shootings and gun control is not something that these people think about. So much to the point that Greg Abbott would say something like that out loud and not really be aware of what he's really revealing. So again, this whole conference is just a big clown show. And again, don't give these people the credit to say that, oh, well, they're just not trying. No, they don't even think about it. It's even worse than them not trying. They don't think about it at all. That's re- it's really that bad. Yeah, no, they don't think about it. They don't care about lives. So I hope they enjoy their little conference, but they have blood on their hands and they are absolutely and totally disgusting, disturbing, and they need to be voted out of office. So hopefully that will come someday. In the meantime, we are gonna take a break. And as Dr. Richie says, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Ricci. And tonight, there's going to be something going on. It is a Friday power panel, and it is quite powerful. You are not going to want to miss it. Miss it, excuse me, but it's featuring Jank Uger, Jessica Burbank, and John Idarola in hour one, and Jank, of course, in hour two, but alongside J.R. Jackson and Michael Shore. You're going to tune in live at tyt.com slash live. Definitely don't want to miss that. And we will miss you come Monday because 
hey, it's Memorial Day and, and in observance, TYT is taking the day off. So definitely don't look for us, but you can definitely always watch our programming online and rewatch it because we do not want you to miss any of the good news we're giving out here. And I also don't wanna miss any of your comments. So let's go ahead and check some of them out. So the Texas Department of Public Safety, as far as them admitting they got it wrong, fat guy named Tiny said, the on-scene commander should be charged with manslaughter or accessory after the fact for each child that died after they arrived on the scene. Absolutely, dereliction of duties. You were trained to do what you needed to do, you fell short. As far as I'm concerned, that is negligence and you should be held accountable. Lynn said those children put their trust in law enforcement, that's right. And then parents put their money in law enforcement, 40% of the Evalde budget going to law enforcement and they failed, failed. Oh, Beer Dragon says there's no excuse for it, but I'm gonna make one up anyway. That's exactly what they are doing there, local law enforcement, it's not all right. As far as the Border Patrol tactical team being told to wait, well, Travel Nurse Dragon says apparently the little girl who smeared her friend's blood on herself and played dead, remembered more of her active shooter training than those cops did. That's right, those kids were left in a moment where they had to fend for themselves, protect themselves, they are children. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a In Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. She came here earlier talking noise and we sent her away. She came back talking crazy. Saying that we're not American, which is pretty crazy to me. How am I not American? How are we not American? I was born and raised here. I my family My descendants is from Africa, yes. My family But I am American. I was born here. And I was a slave. How were you a slave? What made you a slave? Because I was black and my last name's Howard. You were black? Yes. You got Revitiligo? You like Uncle Ruckus? I was You seen the boondocks? You like Uncle Ruckus? I like you like you got you got Reva the Ligo? I like the blues. What does that have to do with anything? Our music? What does our music have to do with anything? Oh, we are, we already we already called the police. We already called the police. They're on the way. Don't lie. We, we already called the police. No, you ain't. We already called the police. My man's on the phone right now with talking to the police. My man's on the phone talking to the police. Oh, you're on live. You're on Instagram live right now. You know that I come from a family yeah. of gamblers. That's cool. My grandfather. That has nothing to do with what you're talking about right now. Paid for my that has nothing to do with what you're talking about. Ring. Literally nothing diamond. to do. She can barely bend her Literally from nothing the to do. I do not care. From playing poker. I do not care. And I'm calling. I care. I call I your do not care. I do not care. I call your bluff. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, that woman is definitely having a moment and it's not one that is flattering at all. And the gentleman there who you may have recognized, that's Los Angeles Clippers guard Norman Powell. The 28 year old second round draft pick out of UCLA. Well, he was in Vegas working out at a local gym, just trying to you know get his little weight training on only to have this woman challenge him and make these racist remarks. And there is more to it, of course, because we're not just going to leave it there. Talking crazy. We was talking crazy. It's not a good look for you. It's not. It's not a good look for you. <laughs> what is she talking about? It is not a good look for you, shorty. <laughs> Yeah.
Yeah. Your wrist wasn't wasn't broke when you was trying to touch us. No, it's broken. I have it on freaking X-ray. Oh, okay. Word. In the last police department. Got you. That was that, that was some good excitement for today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is crazy. She said you broke my wrist. Shorty was talking crazy. Oh my god, man. <laughs> so as you can see, the Las Vegas Police Department showed up and they intervened. Uh, and according to TMZ, the woman could be heard yelling, I can't breathe as the police pressed her against the squad car. Ultimately, she was charged with a misdemeanor obstruction of a police officer, cuz I'm guessing she got a little bit rowdy when the police tried to get her to leave the facility. And they also put her in a psychiatric hold. She definitely seemed to have needed that. What are your thoughts, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, she was just trolling from A to Z. That's all it was. And she thought she was clever. She was like, I come from a family of gamblers and I'm calling your bluff. You know what I'm saying? She thought she was like super smart for that. But keep in mind that, you know, people like her actually exist at a decent scale in this country and they vote religiously. So, you know, um, Definitely keep that in mind in these coming elections that you know it's easy to laugh at people like that, but I bet you she gonna show up to the polls when a lot of people on our side may not. So, and it is kind of interesting too who police officers think needs psychiatric help because you know it's 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 kind of interesting because it seems to me there's a subset of the community who they have no problem arresting and throwing in jail and they just assume are bad people and then then there's a subset that they're like oh you might have a mental illness and I am definitely not against law enforcement actually ensuring people get the psychiatric help that they need. I just think it's kind of interesting who gets it and who doesn't. But yeah, I absolutely exactly. agree with you, Jackson, in terms of individuals like this who often come up to black and brown people and like to pretend that this isn't our country, that they have some kind of stake on the United States, a land that was stolen and robbed and raped and pillaged, much like how a number of people of color had their their ancestors have been treated in this nation. And it's something that we see too much of and we're gonna see it again because of course we have a double dose. You wanna call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're gonna I feel right. Back off! I'm gonna tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Where's the birth spirit at? Uh, let me let me find it for you. I just You're gonna help her. You're gonna help this woman who is yelling racial slurs in your store. I'm a customer just like you, bitch. Mind your own business, what she said. Yeah. You need to mind your own concerns. Not what are you gonna do about this, sir? Make her leave. That's what you need to do. She's harassing me. I was just a customer. All I said was the lady needed to go back to Mexico. I don't need all this. You know, two people can play the video thing. Video thing is so, so stupid and immature. That's immature. That was in Target, and according to the on-screen text, well, the Karen and her husband, they had been going up and down the aisles in the store, yelling at a Target employee to go back to Mexico. And of course, using a five-letter word that I'm not gonna repeat, but starts with a B and ends with an itch. And it clearly shows that this individual is trying to spout some low-key racist ethnocentric nonsense in Target. And we also saw that the Target team member was made aware of this. Let's see how that manager continues to help the Karen as opposed to maybe doing what should be right, which is sending her out of the store. 
Is it in the line of garden section? Uh, it should be. Let me uh, look We're it up on my phone. I'm confused about why you're letting her yell, go back to Mexico at your employees, you and you're here me. to help her find the bird seed and not to remove her from the store. Because you have an employee that can't speak English, and I made a comment for her to go back to Mexico, and she can't speak English. This is America. Uh, we speak uh, English. There is no racial slur in that. We speak English in America. Um, I'm gonna assist this guest with finding some. I can't speed. speak Spanish. Um, I'm not going to Mexico. Over here. Sure. All right, thank you. And they don't need to come here if they can't Why speak Wow, wow. First of all, I definitely commend the shopper for intervening and speaking up on behalf of the target employee who likely felt that uh, the customer is always right, that she couldn't push back or say something, maybe for fear of jeopardizing her job. And so for this individual to intervene and confront this woman as well as the manager, my hat is off to her. We need more allies and accomplices like that. As far as the manager goes, oh, trash on trash. The moment you heard that woman essentially engage in that harassing racist behavior should have been the moment you told her to wheel herself out the door and to go find another institution to patronize because it is completely and totally unacceptable. And the manager was doing nothing to address it. This is a problem and it is completely unacceptable. And it is very, very unfortunate as well that Target has not addressed this situation, Jackson. Yeah, well, first let's point out the fact that she said that the other people who were recording her were being immature, but she can't handle another language being spoken. You know, riding around in her cart like, don't be coming in my damn target speaking your Mexican jibber jabber. You know what I'm saying? Like, and people like this always kill me because it's like, you know, you know, we speak English here. Like a lot of languages are spoken here. I speak Spanish. So, and I was born and raised in this country. In no way am I a Latino, but I speak two languages. So it's like, what are you, what are you talking about? And also point out the fact that, you know, she assumes all oh, they're Mexican. There's 26, I believe, Spanish-speaking countries in the world, and these people they could have come from Central America, they could have come from South America. You know, a lot of these people have the same ethnic backgrounds and look similar. So from A to Z, she's an idiot, and people like her are stupid. And of course, the manager should have just thrown her out of the store. Absolutely, and she is an idiot because the United States doesn't have an official language for a reason. And just you know, these people showing their ignorance and showcasing it, and then the manager again doing nothing. This was the ideal situation where you could have used your power and not only just done what was right, but also back up your employees and show some support. It really, you know what, the fact that Target hasn't said anything about this and maybe put that manager out or maybe reinforce what protocol needs to be. It just, it really speaks to the fact that racism is allowed in corporate America. Things are not being said that need to be said and that is just not okay and it continues to exist because it's not being confronted and addressed and people aren't standing up for what they need to be standing up for. Very disappointed in Target and in that manager and I hope that there is some change done because it's just not acceptable. But we will be back shortly, so please do as Dr. Richie says, stick and stay. Welcome back to Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence filling in for Dr. Richie. And let's hear from you all and see what you had to say. So about the Karens harassing the NBA player at the gym. 
V said, did she for real say I like the blues? I really hope she was talking about what like there's a hockey team I think named the blues as opposed to trying to associate him with blues. I don't get it, I don't think it's okay. Craig Cray Souffle says, don't you just love to see for a change Karen's and cuffs? I do kind of like it and I really, I like that little you know, play on words, Karen's and cuffs, it makes me happy. Fiddlin Nero says, she already has the x-ray to prove her wrist is broken. Interesting how that happened. And as far as the racist Karen at Target, well, Irene Man 42 says, America has no official language, exactly, you battle axe. I'm Peaches, as the entire sentence is a racial slur. Yerp. Uh, neurotic Nation, I challenge her claim that she speaks English. Exactly. I can damn sure tell you she speaks ignorance, though. Those people need to go somewhere. They are incredibly problematic. And there are also some problematic situations going down right now in Georgia, particularly with the loss of a beloved pastor. The good thing is that they have arrested the man. There was a man who stabbed a beloved Georgia pastor to death before setting her on fire. And this is him here, his name is Christopher Griggs. He is a former inmate who was previously charged with sexual assault and impersonating a police officer. He faces one count of malice murder and one count of first degree arson in the death. And the woman that he killed, 57 year old Reverend Marita Harrell. She is a very beloved reverend there and she was fatally stabbed by Griggs at his home while she was trying to mentor him as part of her work as a senior pastor at a local church. Now the police say that he then put her body in a van and drove it to a remote location where he set it on fire. And prior to her death, Harold's husband had expressed his concern over her mentoring Griggs. That was a point of contention between the two of us, between all of us, especially with this gentleman because he called two weeks ago, he said. She told me, Antonio, God has placed these people in my life, I cannot turn away from them. And that also what we know according to People Magazine is this. The mom of two reportedly insisted her faith based work was her calling, often trying to help young adults get their lives on track. She had an open, wonderful and accepting heart. And she was always willing to learn about new people and she loved people, that's what her daughter Elise remembered. Now, as far as how her family found her, what we know is that Marita's husband and older daughter told the station that they first became worried about Marita's whereabouts when she failed to return home the night she was with Griggs. The pair said that they tracked her down by locating her phone. I was there and I still don't believe it, Marita's daughter Marie recalled the moment she found her mother's burning body. I was expecting her to wake up. Open her eyes or move. This is such a tragic story when it comes to individuals trying to help others. This woman was using her faith to try to help this man find new life and to find a future. Him being a um, formerly incarcerated individual, she was using her ministry to try to reach him and he decided to take her life. Jackson. Yeah, this is definitely a heartbreaking story because people like Marita are some of the best people um, that you can find in society. People who truly dedicate their lives to not just helping others, but helping people who the rest of society really doesn't care about. Um, you know, so again, it's very tragic for any community to lose a woman or anybody who cares about their communities as much as she does. And also, I wanted to point out that you know. The, you know, people like, um, what's his name, Christopher? He, people like him, 
complete psychopath, this is who prisons are for. Prisons are not for nonviolent drug offenders. Prisons are not for now women who are you know, looking to get abortions and crossing state lines is the reality that we're gonna be facing. So these are the types of people that need to be locked up and the key needs to be thrown away. He absolutely should never walk the streets again. Absolutely, I could not agree with you more. As much as we do not want to continue to advance this carceral state, the reality is that there are individuals out there who are dangerous, who are not sound individuals and cannot be rehabilitated. They pose a threat to our society. And this Griggs gentleman is one of them. I, I can't understand why he would murder this woman who is trying to counsel him and uplift him. It just, it makes no sense whatsoever, but I definitely hope that the jury makes the right decision and that he finds himself inside of a cell for a very, very, very long time because I do not think that he is safe at all. And there is also another person out there who definitely needs to be in a cell and that's whoever did this crime. What we know is that there's a well-known figure of Chicago's unhoused population who's been critically injured because he was set on fire while he was asleep. Joseph Kromalis, 75 years old, he's known as the walking man and the walking dude. Why? Because he walks the streets of the loop. Well, he suffered third degree burns over 65% of his body. He was sleeping on Lower Wabash Avenue when a man walked up, poured flammable liquid on him and lit it. That again, just like Griggs is another individual who should be incarcerated for a long, long time. There was a security officer nearby, Mr. Kamala's, and he saw he saw him essentially ablaze. So what he did is he used a fire extinguisher to put the fire out and to help save this man's life. Mr. Kamala's was taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital and he's in critical condition where officials say that his chances of surviving, they are not good, unfortunately. One law enforcement source said, we were just told that he's most likely to die. This is also what we know, that the attacker was seen on surveillance video going to the Clark and Lake CTA station and taking a blue line train toward O'Hare. An alert issued by police Wednesday afternoon described the suspect as a tall male with a medium light complexion and wearing a black and white hood rich jacket and gray sandals. Now images of the person suspected have been taken from the CTA Blue Line security camera and here they are here. And this wasn't the first time as well that Mr. Kromalis was attacked because remember he is an unhoused individual and he is living on the streets. And so when you have individuals like this, like this individual in this hoodie here covered up in his face, You have to remember that those individuals are out there and that they pose a threat to unhoused people. So this is what we know from the Chicago Sun-Times. On May 24, 2016, Mr. Kamalis, he was brutally beaten by someone with a baseball bat in the 400 block of East Lower Walker Drive. The two were struggling over the bat when police arrived. He was taken to Northwestern, then to, and was treated for cuts and other injuries to his head and legs. Thousands of dollars were raised on his behalf through GoFundMe appeals. So to know more about Mr. Cromulus, who also, again, he is unhoused, but that doesn't mean he is unloved. So relatives said that he moved to Chicago from his family, with his family from Lithuania. When he was a kid and grew up above a bar his parents had run on Halsted Street. His parents sold the tavern and moved to Southwestern Michigan when he was about 19. Cromulus stayed in Chicago where he got a peddler's license and sold jewelry on the street and began wandering the streets of the loop.
Now this is a family photo that was made available via ABC7 News. Cromulus is in the white v-neck center left. His sister-in-law said, we always worried because he was on the street all the time. He just likes walking. The man is part of the community. He just like walking and yet he was attacked and set a fire. And now he's likely going to die suffering those third degree burns over 65% of his body. He wasn't doing anything to anyone. He was just sleeping. This is, it's, this is heartbreaking, it is disgusting. Jackson. Yeah, and it's just really unfortunate that human beings are capable of doing this type of, uh, you know, just horrendous acts to other people. And clearly, you know, since he, you know, had a, an alias, the Walking Man, the whole city pretty much knew him. This definitely was premeditated. You know, whoever this guy was, um, you know, it, it's definitely looking like he had planned this out as maybe some type of, you know, glory trip that he could have. But I also want to point out how ridiculous it is that the wealthiest nation in the history of civilization has over half a million homeless people on the streets. You know, just think about all the vacant homes, all the vacant buildings, uh, all the the funding that we have for public housing that goes unspent or that's on the docket somewhere in Congress, stuck and held up. Uh, just all the economic issues that we have. There's so much that we could be doing to get these people off the streets, given the fact that it costs more to the taxpayers to have over half a million people uh, living homeless on the streets than it would to take care of them. So unfortunately, uh, if the United States gave a damn about the average person, then this likely never would have happened. Absolutely, and you know, and you make an excellent point. The fact is that minimum wage is not increasing, yet the cost of living has skyrocketed. People can't afford housing, and we're seeing so much of that now. So even just the fact that he was an individual who would like to walk and did his best, I'm sure, to try to live a life where he could have housing, it, it doesn't mean necessarily that the system hasn't failed him, because we know the system is failing us all in so many regards. and. What happened to this individual is completely and totally unacceptable and it's not right. And so I definitely implore you all to really take a look at that photo and see if you recognize the gentleman who was going through the metro station there as a potential subject suspect. And if you do recognize him to contact the Chicago PD because people like this should not be out on our streets in any form and fashion. And there are so many people who are forced to be out on our streets because they cannot afford housing. And they are their vulnerable populations and we have to do better. And one other thing we do definitely have to do better is when it comes to how they're treating individuals in the military. There's a woman named Sergeant Jewel Scott. She was stationed in Fort Hood at the army base there in Killeen, Texas. Well, she's been posting videos saying that she believes her life is in danger. Watch this. Hey y'all, so I just want to get on here real quick and say that like, um, if something happened to me, if just real blunt and honest with, if I end up dead, if I end up missing or something like that, just know somebody did it. And I just want to get out here and put something out because I know how the media, I know how my job um, being in the military will paint these false narratives. If it was self-inflicted or something like that, my family would know, my friends would know. So if if nothing comes from them or nothing like that, I just want to say somebody did it. I don't know what's going to happen, but for some reason I feel like my days, for some, something is just telling me my days are limited. 
And she knows and something that we also have always known is that women in the military have been subject to all sorts of forms of attack and oppression that have gone essentially overlooked, ignored, swept under the rug and it's problematic. And the Fort Hood officials, what they did is they shared a post on Facebook saying that they know leadership is aware of the allegations and concerns raised by Sergeant Jewel Scott. They said, we take all allegations of misconduct seriously and commanders will investigate and take action as appropriate. Sergeant Scott is safe and in the care of her unit leadership. That's what the Army Post said. But Scott immediately responded to that Fort Hood Facebook post and she responded with this. This is a lie, I am not in the care of my leadership. The last time I have spoken to my leadership was when they had me illegally arrested by undercovers and taken to the hospital, she claimed in a post. I was informed that I would be discharged in 10 days for misconduct. What makes it even worse is that they didn't even want to tell me under what conditions or what for. And she posted this clip of the arrest. I told y'all it was only a matter of time. They put out AWOL. They just seen me less than 24 hours ago. They talked to me today, they put out AWOL. I just want y'all to see what's going on. Y'all, at this point, I honestly think these people are just probably trying to kill me or something. Like, I don't know. Um, they won't leave me alone. Sergeant Scott also tried to explain more about what was going on. She posted this online. While stationed here, I've witnessed many awful things. I am a victim of their constant harassment and negligence to safety. For months, I've tried to bring awareness to these things in which Fort Hood continues to cover up and neglect. Once they were made aware that I had been working with news stations, I quickly became a target and person they needed to hush. Now the soldier who claims that she was told that she's being discharged soon also launched a GoFundMe page asking for help as she transitions into civilian life. It really does sound like something is going on here and that we're not getting the full story when it comes to Fort Hood and what is going on with Sergeant Scott. Uh, Jackson, is that your read as well? Yeah, I think there's definitely, uh, you know, it seems that she was undergoing some type of mistreatment, some type of abuse. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, abuse that women undergo in the military, like you pointed out, is often uh, swept under the rug and not even really talked about. Not just abuse that women go through, but you got to keep in mind that there for a long time, don't ask, don't tell was in place. So the military has a history of sweeping a lot of things under the rug for misconduct. At the end of the day, it's just a group of people and power can corrupt. So I definitely hope that uh, she receives the assistance that she needs, but she's likely going to be dealing with a lot of trauma. Uh, for quite some time, because at the end of the day, if she, you know, she's part of the military, and the military has extensive access. So uh, I think, you know, it's definitely important that she uh, gets as much help as she needs. Absolutely, and I, I seem to think that her sharing this broadcast and going live and putting it out there is probably what saved her life. 
without a doubt, because Lord knows what would have happened to her if she wasn't broadcasting what was going on to her. The fact that she was scared and the, and her being confronted and surrounded by these people. And also who knows quite yet whether her discharge is dishonorable or honorable. Because I also don't necessarily know what resources will be available to her if she's dishonorably discharged. And like you mentioned, Jackson, the fact is that the military has a very, a very long reach and that they can get to people at all sorts of times. And if she broke some kind of protocol, some silent agreement, so to speak, there could be people who see her as a target in some way. And so I really definitely do wish her the best. And I hope her transition into civilian life is one where she finds a rewarding future and career and also that she is safe and that she is also very much loved and taken care of. But thank you so much, Jackson, for joining us today. I know you are on Rebel HQ, which is on YouTube and Facebook, where I am as well. But can you please tell the good people where they can find more of you? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at SlimFitChacho. You can follow me on Instagram at SlimFitBarryWhite. I know I'm a goofy dude, I'm a funny guy. But I do a lot of things just breaking down politics. I talk a lot about campaigns and I just share a lot of important links to stories that you really should you know, keep your eyes on. So come on, follow me. All right, then I can appreciate that. And this is Adrian Lawrence. I am filling in for Dr. Richie, who hopefully will be back soon. But please remember, we will not be here on Monday. It is the Memorial Day holiday. So definitely please have a safe, welcoming and fun weekend. And definitely please keep those children and the families from Uvalde, Texas in your thoughts and prayers, as well as the individuals from Buffalo. And please take action where you can. But definitely stay safe. Thanks so much for watching. Welcome to Indisputable. I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today. But what do we do on this show? We tell the truth. You know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here. Congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm -hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's no, a I, racist I, I, policy, racist policy. Shelly, here's what I don't to. know. I don't know. See, there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it, though.